You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Good morning, church. If you have a Bible, grab it. Turn to James chapter 1. Yes, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us and love to do so. We're going to continue in uh, the book of James, which we have titled Our Faith in Action. And if you are uh, a guest with us, there should be a Bible in front of you in the pew back. You can grab it and turn to page 1071. And if you are not a believer today, we want you to know that this is a safe place for you to see uh, what we are about as a church, to see uh, what the gospel is, that we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord over all things, both our spiritual lives, but also our physical lives, and that we give everything to Him. And that's why we walk through books of the Bible, because we want to see what God has to say. Not what I have to say, and not what anybody else has to say, but to see what God has to say to us. So as we start this morning, I want you to think it's, it was probably pretty easy uh, for you to notice uh, new homes, new builds that, that uh, are going up around our church, going around your neighborhoods, going around uh, just our community. There's a lot of building uh, going on. And thinking about building, it reminded me this week of the story that Jesus gave of the two builders. He said that one builder built his house on the rock. On the rock, he, he had the, a right foundation, and so when the storm came and beat upon that house, when the storm and the rain poured down on that house, it did not fall. It was able to stand. But Jesus then contrasts that in the story, and he said, but the builder who built his house on the sand, on an unfirm foundation, when the rain came and the winds blew and the house was pummeled against it fell and Jesus says great was that fall may we not build on a foundation that is sand like a foundation that is not built on God's word and this morning when we look here in James chapter 1 Jesus story is going to be at the forefront of our minds in a lot of ways is that we I told you a few weeks ago James is pulling uh, maybe even giving sermons off of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So James is giving us similar themes, if not even more than that. He's actually uh, written his letter in a way that would describe the Sermon on the Mount. And so as we start this morning, here's what we're going to see. James exhorts his readers to righteousness through receiving God's Word and acting on it. And if you're a disciple today, someone who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ, what are we to know and do today? How are we to respond to hearing God's Word? Our obedience to God's Word displays authentic love for God and our neighbor. Our obedience to God's Word displays authentic love for God and neighbor. The Word of God saves us. But the message of the gospel saves us, makes us righteous before God, and also empowers us to live that gospel out. 
It isn't just a gospel that we receive. It's one that causes fruit. We will see obedience as accepting God's word and doing God's word. What James wanted to present to us is that unflinching loyalty to God in the midst of temptation and suffering is expressed by obedience. And that obedience is not something of a strain or a chain or a jail on us, but frees us. And James even talks about this being the wise life, that we live out wisdom. So as we walk through the text this morning, here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want to show you in the text. I want to show you three connections of obedience and God's Word. Three connections of obedience and God's Word. We're going to start in verse 19, which is where we see the first connection. Obedience comes from receiving God's Word. Look there at verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to to speak and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. As James transitions to a new section, which he identifies as when he calls us brothers and sisters, he's coming to a new theme. And he provides a proverb on how uh, those who have been changed by the gospel should live. But those who have been given a new birth, in verse 18, this is how they're called to live. This new life produces new action. And this proverb should not just characterize you as an individual, it should characterize us as a gathered body of believers. It should characterize our church as a whole. And so let's look at this proverb, which is to slow to speak, slow to anger, but quick to listen. And James provides this proverb, which continues his theme of wisdom. If we live out this proverb, we will be living out wisdom. So look down back at verse 19. Everyone should what? Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Here, for the word quick, James has the idea of hurry up and listen. Tune yourselves to what you're hearing. Don't miss what's in front of you. This should be our first response before the other two. And then he says, listen. He wants us to hear. My dad used to say that what he would tell me would go in one ear and out the other. I don't know if you've experienced that or your children may uh, do similar things. James does not want us to hear it through one ear and go out the other. He wants us to listen. And then he says, be slow. Be slow. James wants us to hesitate, actually. He wants us to delay in how we respond. As a kid, I never was in, you know, in the school setting. I never thought before I spoke. There were things I had to learn. It would just come out. And that's what James is saying. You need to hesitate before you actually speak. And then James, he brings up anger. This anger is deep-seated anger. Anger that's manifested in action. When what has happened, it has taken root in our hearts. It's controlling this kind of anger is. The world wants us to be angry at everything. But James says we're not called to be angry. James wants us to understand that uncontrolled anger leads to quick speech. 
speech that will hurt those who it's directed at. The world wants us to be angry. Right? If we look now, and, and this was brought up this morning in our equip class, it's brought up you know, probably a few times already uh, in this sermon series, but it's so prevalent that we need to understand that social media and the algorithms and the data that are coming from us being on social media is that this is tailored toward inciting the most uh, gut-riching uh, information so that we become angry. What gets the most tweets, what gets the most likes, what gets the most shares, what gets the most comments is the things that cause anger. That is true. There's no doubting that data at this point. That's how social media has been, has been used and how it's been fueling our own personal angers. And verse 19 is a really, really good reason, a really good thought for those who trust Christ. Why? It's an opportunity for us to not respond to stories or information or anything before we actually know what's going on. We've seen people now react in the moment. The pressure of, I have to say something. The pressure of, what do people think I think? Instead of waiting and being slow to speak. Literally, social media is actually the opposite of being slow to speak. Let me just pull my phone out and, and say what I want to say. With no repercussion. This is changing us. It's changing how we think. It's changing how we act. And so James says to us, be slow to speak. Be slow to anger. Why though? Why does James give us this proverb? Because human anger does not accomplish, it does not produce God's righteousness. God's righteousness is understood as behavior that is pleasing to Him. Doing what God requires. Or living the way that He's called us to live. This righteousness is living out the gospel. It's actually putting an action in place. Righteousness is not, for James, is not this theme. It's not this doctrine. Righteousness is pulling from Jesus in the Old Testament. James is saying righteousness is how you act and how you live. Our actions display authentic love for God and our neighbor. And so living this way is difficult. I think all of us in the room would say, hey, do you struggle with these verses? I think all of us would say yes. So how do we help? How does Christ help us walk in this way? So James gives us a prescription to follow. He gives us a prescription. Humbly receive the implanted word. Look there at verse uh, 21. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. Let me pause there. James, going into the prescription, he describes this. He shows us that the truth of the proverb is why we need God's word. It is out of this proverb that we should know how to respond and what we should do. We must rid ourselves of all moral filth. That's a strong word that James uses. James uses uh, the same word that Paul does when Paul is talking about taking off the, our old sinful lives in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4. is this idea of taking off clothes or setting aside the old life. Right? We can't just come to the Christian life and begin to adding pieces of clothing, behavior, or, or things to do, 
or boxes to check off and add that to the Christian life. That's not what James nor Paul is telling us. In fact, what James is getting at is this kind of thought. If, if you're a math teacher, I hope you could help understand, help us understand what this means. If, if we take Jesus and plus something else, it actually doesn't equal Jesus and something else. It equals nothing. That's the way our faith is described in the Bible. You can't have Jesus and other things. So that would equal that your faith is worthless. And what James is saying is that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that's the faith that we hold up. Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Jesus as our perfecter. Jesus as our Lord. Jesus is all that we need. So James explains why we must rid ourselves of these things. And he's, he describes them as moral filth and as evil. It highlights the offensiveness of our sin towards our holy God. It describes how in part we have sinned against our Father. And these sins, they stain us. They are muddy and dirty. This is why the old life, we must not give into it. We must not indulge. We must not give over to it. James believed that those who have had a new birth have a new identity. We are called to be different. We are called to not just say what we believe, but to live it, to be authentic. That's the difference between what we believe and every other religion in the world. James says, receive. Receive humbly the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Now James, he used this analogy, right? Receive uh, the implanted word. Right? He, he leaves uh, his, his analogy and he gives direct instruction. Right? He said we're called to receive humbly the implanted word. This humility is open to reception of the word, but it's also open to the work of the word. This humility is uh, something that we recognize we need help to live this out. James calls us to reception. Right? Again, leaving the imagery because he does not just want us to adopt a new code of behavior. That's not what James is saying. But he wants us to focus on the influence of God's Word on producing new behavior. We don't just add behavior. No, we receive humbly the replanted, implanted Word which then produces the behavior that God calls for. It's the Word of God that works in us and through us and on us. This reception, though, is of the implanted Word. This Word is God's Word. It's not innate. It's not, uh, it's not, we're not born with it. We do not already have it. Some may say that we're born with a clean slate, so we could either be good or we could be evil. No, the Bible talks about we do not have any good in us. And the word here, which James is using, he's talking about the Scriptures, and particularly the Scriptures that are pointing to Christ and how Christ would explain them in His ministry. And how they have been given to us. And so James says, receive this implanted word. In Jeremiah 33 and Ezekiel 36, these are Old Testament prophecies about what God is going to do in the New Covenant. What God is going to do in the covenant that we have. So what does God say? In those two passages, 
it foretells a time when God would literally write His law, His Word, on our hearts. And this law then would, would enable and even cause us to walk in His statutes. To walk in obedience. This is out of Israel's failure. Years of rebellion. Years of walking away. Walking differently than what God had called them. And God said, I am going to, in the new covenant, going to be, I'm going to actually empower you to live out the gospel. Now we can fully love God and fully love our neighbor because God's word is literally inside of us. He writes it on the tablets of our hearts. This week I found this, this idea of God's word is so powerful that it, it woos us to obedience. It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't just control in a negative way, it woos us. To desire to walk in obedience. And when this implanted word is received humbly, it works. Right, look at how James describes it. It's able to save your souls. Meaning our entire selves. Not just mean our spiritual lives, but our whole life. Physically and spiritually. But also, it's a salvation that is to come. A future salvation. One day where we will be with God and we will actually get to the place that we all desire, which is to be with Him. The Word that saves cannot be forgotten after it's been received. We cannot forget what God's Word not only says to us about salvation, but what it says to us and how we live. It must produce obedience. The Word planted within our hearts allows us to actually live toward a goal of real and true life. To love God and to love others. That this goal is one that is set before us, but one that we can actually reach, not because of ourselves, but because of God's Word. And so when we receive God's Word, we're able to obey Him. We're able to love Him. But the second connection, though, is that Obedience must be the result of hearing God's Word. Obedience must be the result of hearing God's Word. When we receive God's Word, our perception must turn to action. James provides an explanation here very similarly to what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. And provides an instruction and an illustration for us as we think about obeying and how we should respond Look there at verse 22. We see the instruction to be doers of the word. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. This command is similarly stated. We are to be doers of the word. Meaning we are called to live out what it says. Not just commands, but actually be a living picture of the word. Paul says in 2 Corinthians. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, know and read by everyone. You show that you are Christ's letter, delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. This is what God has done. So those who have accepted the gospel now are living letters. We are living examples of what God is doing and what God can do and what God will do. So much so that this is action that 
we give ourselves to obeying God that it's repeated action which causes a habit. And habit causes us to look more like Jesus. It isn't that we do these things to check boxes off. It's that we obey God because we want to form habits and form virtues in our hearts that we actually look more like Jesus. That over time... It's not that on day one or day seven or day 14 that we say, yes, I did this. But it's in year seven and year 14 and year 21 that we say, wow, look at what my obedience has created in me. Look at what God has done through the word to produce me in me looking like Jesus. James' use of the word here. Is connected in verses 18, which we saw as the word of truth. Here in verse 21, the implanted word. And also, verse 25, the law of freedom. All point to the scriptures as being God's word. And particularly the Old Testament scriptures. James, remember, was the first, most likely the first letter written in the New Testament. So you didn't have the New Testament. You might have had some letters circulating uh, just a few years later. But the Old Testament is what James is talking about. And specifically, James sees the Old Testament Scriptures as revealing Christ and should be understood in light of who Christ is. James doesn't come to this to say, here are all these rules and regulations. No. Here's the Lord Jesus who has been revealed to you as King and Lord over all things, who's been raised from the dead, who reigns in heaven, these scriptures pointed to him, and it's these scriptures that now can live inside of you and produce obedience. The word of God must be our authority. If the word of God is what's producing obedience, then the word of God must be our authority. Everything we do must be submitted to this. Not our experiences, not our, our, our traditions, not even our own reason. All of that must be submitted to the Word of God. All of us must be submitted to God's Word because He revealed Himself, which points to Christ, and is able to powerfully transform us. What else could we seek for change? All, we, could, we could stand up here every week and we could try to give you self-help tips and we could try to encourage you. At the end of the day, it's not going to change you. It's not going to change me. What changes us is God's Word, which is doing the work. Now, of course, James is not against hearing God's Word, right, which would have been normal. They wouldn't; Those who would have heard God's Word wouldn't have read it. It would have been read aloud with them. Right? So he's not saying don't hear the Word. He's saying don't only hear the Word. Right? Don't only just listen and let it go through one ear and out the other. In the Old Testament as well, Hearing was not actually hearing until someone acted on the words that they heard. James says, hear and be doers of this word. And then James transitions to an illustration. The illustration of looking into a mirror. Look there at verse 23. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. To give some context to this illustration, let me first explain the mirror. In the first century, the mirrors wouldn't be like what we have. 
Uh, they're not clear and crisp and in HD. They would have been polished metals that you could, you could see a glimpse of kind of what you've been looking at. For some of us, it would make us look better. And for some of us, it probably would make us look worse. But it wasn't a clear picture of who you were. So it would be possible, in theory, to forget what you look like. Or to have a different reflection each time you looked in different metals. So James uses this as an example for us to consider what does it mean to be doers and or not hearers. And so take just a moment to make sure of what, uh, you're, what we're thinking about and what we're seeing as a mirror to make sure that you know, our hairs are not standing up. James says, look into this mirror. This is what James means. He's like, you actually have to take time. You can't pass by the mirror. I, I struggle with this, you know, when you're going through like the mall, or, you know, belts or something, you walk by, and I'm like, okay, I saw that mirror, and I'm looking by this mirror. For whatever reason, I just like, the mirrors catch my eye. James is saying, don't just walk by. James is saying, look. Look at the mirror. He says that person forgets. They, they, don't, they don't remember what they just saw. Let me ask us, what causes us to not hear? And not obey. What in our lives is calling us not to, causing us not to hear God's word? What James is worried about is suffering, temptation, worldliness, anger. These are the things that James is worried about causing us not to hear God's word. What are the things in our lives that are causing us not to hear, to receive it? Or what are also the things that are causing us not to obey? Is it laziness? Is it, is it worry? Is it anxiety? What are the things causing us not to hear and not to obey? We tend to forget what God has done. This is the problem that James is speaking to. This is why God in the Old Testament, He calls His, his people, He calls them to build altars so that when they pass by those altars, they would remember what God had done. What is Moses' command or encouragement or challenge to those who are entering the promised land? Do not forget what God has done in Egypt. Do not forget that He brought you through this desert. And do not forget He is the one giving you this land. Forgetfulness may be one of the easiest roads to sinfulness. And James says, do not be forgetful how much more do we have more than exodus more than the desert we've been brought from death to life from sin to freedom how much more should we remember the gospel this is why we we say to us every time we try to gather don't forget the gospel preach the gospel to yourselves daily because it helps us remember what god has done james says don't be like don't be someone who looks into the mirror and forgets, if that's even possible. And now look at verse 25 and see how he contrasts that. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and preserves in it and is not forgetful here will be a doer who works. This person will be blessed in what he does. The doer is the one who actually looks into the, not into the mirror, but into the perfect law of freedom and preserves, continues, and does not forget. This perfect law is once again God's Word. 
James uses the word law here to point us back to how Jesus summed up the law and the prophets. God's word. And how he pointed us to how they help us love God and love neighbor. It's also, notice that James uses the, the law of freedom. Oftentimes when people talk are being engaged with Christianity, they say, well, I don't want to have, I don't want to have that restriction on my life. I don't want to have those rules and regulations. I don't want to have to do that. But what James is saying is that those rules, those regulations, they're not binding on us. They're actually freeing to us. But this is how God has called us to live. And actually, when we try to, we try to get other things and remove God from the picture, we're actually binding ourselves. But God's Word is not chaining us. It's freeing us to live how God designed us. Now notice the difference in the two individuals, though. The first looks and immediately forgets. But the doer of the word looks and perseveres, continues. Right? Maybe they continue by meditating on God's word throughout the day. Maybe they memorize God's word. Or maybe they talk about God's word with other people. But most importantly, they put the word to action. It's the doer who works. This word is not only internalized, but it also bears its own fruit. Have you ever thought about God's word that way? That you cannot produce the fruit that God calls you to. But when the word is introduced into our hearts, it's so powerful that it produces the fruit that God demands of us. What God has done is He's taken an orange tree and made us an apple tree. That's what God has done. And it's so powerful, it's going to work itself out if we give ourselves to God's Word. We don't obey to be saved. We obey because we already are saved. The implanted Word is bringing our obedience. And this Word brings blessing. Right? This is a future blessing. Yes, there's this idea of potential blessing in this world, but at the end of the day, our blessing is not found here. Our blessing is found with God. For eternity. And our hope is with God, not with even blessing in this world. This is why we as a church, we center everything we do on God's Word. Whether it's gathering here, singing God's Word, praying God's Word, hearing from God's Word. This is why we, when we gather during the week, we have the Scriptures at the very least informing what we're talking about. This is why our D groups, we talk about actually learning how to study God's Word, how to apply God's Word to our lives. Everything we do here is centered around God's Word because this is how God has given us through His Spirit and through His people that we're able to walk in holiness. I saw this, uh, this quote this week. A pastor was talking about people who, I just wish my church would go deeper. I just wish my church would will just be really deep. And what the pastor said is he said, the vast majority of Christians are educated past their level of obedience. Think about that for just a moment. The vast majority of Christians are educated past the level of their obedience. We can get all the knowledge in the world that we want to, but if our obedience doesn't match that, then we're not going to see any kind of deep, radical change in our lives. You can know the most stories, the most information, the most interpretations. You can do all of that and your obedience be subpar. May that not be said of us. 
If we would just do what we know, our lives would be totally different. Totally different. Obedience is the result of hearing and receiving God's Word. Let's now look at that third connection. Obedience is responding to God's Word. In these last two verses, James uh, seems to be summing up uh, in what in way that he thinks uh, from verses 19 through 25. And he brings up speech and actions again. And I believe that James is showing us or giving us a picture of what the Christian faith includes at the very least. He's not summing up all of Christianity. He's summing up this is what Christianity includes. Control the tongue. Care for the helpless. And concern for holiness. So look there at verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he's deceived himself. James confronts anyone who would call themselves religious. Right? And this word religious is anybody. He's not just talking about Christians. He's talking about if anyone would say they're religious, they're spiritual. Maybe uh, folks would use that word today. Spiritual. They must submit their faith to the test of obedience. To the test of action. And this first test of obedience, the first response is controlling our mouths, controlling our speech. And some Bible translations use the word bridle instead of control, as it gives an illustration of, of an animal. Right, a, you can think about a horse, it's controlled by its mouth. And that's what James wants us to think about. Those who truly worship God are those who uh, hold to a life-changing religion are careful about what they say and how they say it. We know that our mouths de depict what's actually in our hearts. Jesus says both in Matthew and Mark, out of the mouth the heart speaks. What is going in your, on in your heart will come out. It's going to happen. You cannot keep it bottled in forever. Anger or the situation or the circumstance is only the thing that is actually the opportunity for those things to come out of you. Those opportunities for anger are just the pressure cooker. And so, so long, that, that pressure cooker can't keep the pressure in any longer. And so, oftentimes we blame our circumstances for actually what's going on in our own hearts. When we have to deal with what's in our hearts. And so James says that we need to look at these opportunities not to see us actually forget what to say, but actually not to speak. To control our mouths. May we learn to bite our tongues, but even more so, may we fill our hearts with God's Word. May we more than just learning to control our tongues, may we actually fill our hearts with God's Word. Why? Because James says that this faith might as well be useless. It's worthless. It's non-existent if we cannot control our mouths. In reality, what comes out of the mouth shows what we really worship. Faith in Christ must produce wise speech. May we respond to God's Word this way. Then James, he continues, he says in verse 27, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. James now turns his attention to social action. 
Right, notice how he describes it. He calls it pure and undefiled religion. James is contrasting the faith of the useless religion in verse 26. And he's about to depict what true faith actually is as a test, as a mirror for us. James says that we are to look after or to visit or to care for orphans and widows, the helpless. In the first century, orphans and widows would have not had any funding or government assistance or social programs to take care of themselves. In the first century, the church demonstrated that it was truly real by taking care of those who could not take care of themselves. Those who could not bring anything to the table. Is that not the gospel, though? That God comes to us when we could offer nothing but our sin? And James says, true and undefiled religion is that we care for those who cannot care for themselves. The church demonstrates its true authenticity by doing this. Our culture, and even churches in, our, in America, are having a conversation about this very thing. How do we care for the helpless? How do we care for the poor, orphans, abortion, immigrants? How do we do that well? Should we care for them? And let me be very clear with you. The world is trying to define for you how you are called to do that. It's trying to tell us how we should think about these things. We also have people who say to, they claim to be believers who don't do any of this. God's Word defines how we're supposed to live. And God's Word calls us how we're supposed to live. And so we must not let the world tell us how to live. And we must not tell those who think that their religion is pure when it's really not tell us how to live. God's Word is very clear. James is very clear right here. That we are called to help those who cannot help themselves. And to be honest with you, churches where I think we need to grow, all of us, that we find ways to care for those who are helpless, care for those who cannot take care of themselves, whether they're orphans or widows or immigrants or those who have been put out in other situations. Why? Because it shows that we understand that there was a God who loved us so much that entered into this world to help us when we would never have saved ourselves. Ever. So we, what should we do? What should we, what should we do? We can't help everyone. But we can open our eyes. We can open our eyes and see first and say, what are the needs around us? What are the needs around me? What are the needs in my neighborhood? What are the needs at my school? What are the needs in my workplace? And then act on those. Act on those. Be generous with your time and your money and your resources. Care for them. Connect them here to our church and as we desire to grow that ministry here we're going to learn we're going to have more opportunities we're actually going to be able to take care of those who cannot take care of themselves and let me be clear though James is not he's very strong but he's not saying that true faith is only helping the helpless that's not what he's saying he's saying that true faith at the very least includes this it's one piece. John Calvin, the theologian, he said this about the verse. James does not define generally what religion is, but reminds us that religion without these things, he mentions, is nothing. May we consider God's word today and be convicted. 
and find how we are called to respond this way. James, he ends though. Look there at the end of verse 27. And to keep one self unstained from the world. We do not believe in a social gospel only. We don't believe that our actions will save anybody. We believe that only the gospel of Jesus Christ can save anyone, can save us. We believe that it's only the gospel that can radically change our hearts and our minds and our hands so that we can speak the gospel, so that we can display the gospel. James is very careful not to just call us a social action, but real and true gospel transformation. The gospel calls us to, calls us to purity, to be unstained, to be holy and righteous, not contaminated by the world. I think it's really easy for us. Maybe it's not a lot, but it, maybe it's just a speck to be contaminated by the world. And we don't, we're not considering how the world is actually influencing us. It's a world that wants to remove itself from its creator, a world that wants to do its own thing, a world that wants to be lifeless and dead away from God. A world that will not satisfy us. A world that will not help us in any way. We must not let the world influence us, meaning our theology or our practice. We must not let the world tell us how we're called to live. God's Word does that. We must allow the Word to work and the Spirit to build and God's people to actually push us into what James describes as true and undefiled religion. James, he shows us that true faith will be a faith that obeys God's Word which demonstrates an authentic love for Him, for God, and for others. When we give ourselves to God's Word, it will transform us. And God will do what He says. He will change us. Jesus is the perfect picture of obedience for us. That He lived a perfect life. That He submitted to God's will, even to death. Death on a cross but was raised three days later. Jesus is the perfect picture of obedience for us. He was tempted in the desert, but did not sin. He obeyed God's will, leading to our salvation. It's only in Jesus can we truly find obedience. You cannot obey on your own, in your own power. You cannot obey just to be good. You cannot obey to earn God's favor. The only way that we can obey is trusting God in the one who was obedient. Trusting the one who gave everything to be obedient for you and me. Pray with me. God, we ask today that you would make us into people who obey. Make us into people who actually experience the fruit of your word. I pray that we would receive the word, that it would result then in response. That we would be a people who demonstrate that our, the test of our faith is actually easy to see. That we've been so changed by the gospel that we talk about it, we share it, we proclaim it, and also our hands. We put them to work to care for those who cannot care for themselves in the same way that you came after us in our distress. God, would you help us do these things? May we not find righteousness in doing a checklist. May we not find righteousness in just being legalistic, but may we find righteousness in the arms of our Savior more than anything else.
God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.